Well, we've been in a series called Jesus Said What, and the message is, as we know via the, the name of the series, uh, some of the things Jesus said would make us scratch our head, turn our head, cover our face, or run and hide. You know, whatever uh, your response is, uh, he said some pretty intense things. And this morning we're going to talk about Jesus saying, if we want to enter the kingdom or be his follower, we have to give up everything. We have to give up everything. And that's the call of Jesus. So would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you so much for your word that is living, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts to not only bone and marrow, but motives and intentions of the heart, our very thoughts. And so, God, we want to line our thoughts up with your word this morning. We want to set our minds on the things above where we are hidden in you. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to count everything as rubbish compared to a a greater knowledge, knowing you intimately in relationship. We give it all gladly. We waste it at your feet like oil, like Mary of Bethany. And we say, it is worth it. We want to be remembered in your gospel like Mary, that we gave everything. Lord, that we, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, she is remembered for the act she did in preparing you for burial. God, we want to be in the fellowship of your son's sufferings. We want to be conformed to the image of your son this morning, even more in a greater glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the word of God is living and active. Hey, Race. Hey, Kevin and Alicia. They get special attention there. Good friends. Kevin loves that, so that's why I did that, just for Kevin. Well, this morning we're going to, like I said, go through the rich young ruler in Mark 10. He's also in Matthew 19 and Luke 18, and with the harmony of the Gospels, you know, bringing together uh, the three perspectives, you gain this term, the rich young ruler. You wouldn't see that full term in any of the Gospels alone, but when you put them together, we find out he's rich and he's young and had some kind of status, okay? So... With that, we're going to read through Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. It won't be on the screen right now, unless Ruth worked together her magic to make it appear, but it will be later on as we go through it, as we go through the text. It looks like she's got it. Look at that. So Mark 10, verse 17 through 31. Way to go, Ruth. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished, and he said to him, they said, and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible to be saved, right? But with God, 
not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, or children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now, in this time, houses and brothers, sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So this young man had great wealth. Oops, sorry, thanks, Ruth, you were ahead of me. Uh, Jesus was walking with his disciples up to the Passover in Jerusalem, and there would have been great droves of people. This picture doesn't quite capture what we would see. It was a main road, and this rich young ruler had heard Jesus teaching, and it stirred something in him because he didn't teach like others. He had authority in what he said. He had a certain draw. He said things that just really cut to the heart, and this young man's heart was cut. He had great wealth, and he heard Jesus saying things that the the rabbis were not saying, that others were not saying, and and so it drew him to come to Jesus running, and he had a moment of humility where he, he knelt and actually asked Jesus difficult questions to kind of get clarity, but really he was trying to, in some sense, get himself off the hook and make sure uh, that he indeed would have eternal life. And of course, he was with the teaching that keeping the commands would gain access to eternal life and that keeping the commands would be like a a gradation or you'd get a greater level according to your devotion to the commandments. And Jesus said, well, what do you mean? In what sense are you calling me good? Because Jesus knew that his bar was very low. He thought it was high. He thought he was the most moral, righteous person. He loved the Torah. He loved to study the the law of God. And he did diligence to make sure he wasn't committing adultery, honoring his parents, was paying his workers the wages, not defrauding. He was diligent about the commands. But Jesus, wait a minute. You're lacking one thing. And, And Jesus put his finger on the very thing That was precious to him over and against his love for God. And this is what we see. He had many treasures. He had many riches. He had great wealth. And Jesus said, how difficult. He didn't say how impossible. He said how difficult it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom. Because it's hard to give up our love for wealth if we have a love for wealth. And again, just because we have a lot of wealth doesn't mean we love wealth. There's a difference. There's a difference, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, So what is key is to understand that Jesus put his finger on this man's heart and said, you know, essentially, you're greedy, you're covetous, you, you protect yourself through your finances, you hold a reputation for being moral because God's apparently blessed you with riches, and you look down, but you look down on the poor, Uh, He he challenged him to give to the poor because he looked on contempt because common in that day was to have this idea that if someone was poor, God had cursed them. They were not in favor with God. It's not a lot different than the prosperity of gospels that we hear in our day, that if you obey God, you'll have health and wealth no matter what. Well, 10 out of 10 people die, and a lot of people go broke. I think that the gospel is not working very well, or maybe they have the gospel wrong. (laughs) Maybe it's off. That's probably the answer. So this guy, not only did he have coveting as a problem, but really Jesus is pointing out ultimately the first commandment because all the commandments hinge on the first commandment, right? 
Love God with all your heart, all your life, all your mind, with every earnest bit of molecule of your strength and your focus. Everything that you do is to bring glory to his name, to love him, to be loved by him, to have that one-on-one and corporate fellowship with Jesus, with others, that, that love for God, that worship for God, not holding anything back. That's our call. And anything less is idolatry. So it's not that this man worshipped physical idols and didn't really worship God. It's that he thought he was worshipping God, but his image of God was too low and his image of himself was too high for him to really see God for who he is and see himself for who he is. And so Jesus actually was saying, your God is your strength, your resources, your money, anything but the true God. This was common. In the prophets, they were rebuked for worshiping Yahweh and also worshiping Baal, worshiping Yahweh, but also carrying the trinkets of the, the star god that they worshiped. They would syncretize pagan rituals into their worship of God. That's idolatry. And we do the same in our day. We do the same in our day when we don't give up all our possessions to follow Jesus. And that's, again, what we're going to unpack this morning. So what does it mean to give up all our possessions? So Jesus points out to this man, uh, he, he, says, he calls him good teacher. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, again, he was thinking if he was good about keeping the commandments, he would guarantee. And he was looking for more assurance from Jesus. I followed the rabbis, and they tell me that we're repairing the world if we keep the commands. And we're, we're moral and we're righteous if we keep the commands. I've kept all these commands, so is there anything else I have to do? And Jesus says, wait a minute, wrong standard. Why are you even calling me good? What do you mean? I'm, I'm not in the line of those, those rabbis. I have a complete different uh, thinking. Why do you call me good? In what sense? What do you mean by good? Only God's good. And then he tells him the commandments that he's kept. And, and Jesus affirms his love with his approach. It wasn't harsh. Probably the look in his eyes and the body language that the precious son of God carried himself with as a human. He looked him in the eyes and Jesus loved him. Only Mark says this. Luke and Matthew don't. Mark inserts that. He inserts giving up everything not just for the gospel or not just for his name but also for the gospel and mark also inserts it will come the blessings of provision will come with persecutions and that's so key so we don't depend on ourselves this is what he's getting at in the gospel our possessions are given back to god where they came from in the first place to a point where whatever we have belongs to god and when necessary when god speaks Something we have is given to somebody else without expectation for them to pay us back. That's the kind of generosity in the gospel. Jesus, though he was rich, became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. That was Paul's plumb line for generosity in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 for the church to give out of the gospel because the gospel advances generosity in us. We don't want to flip it around and be like this rich young ruler and think that our generosity has any part in advancing the gospel unless God's advancing the gospel already in us. Because greed has such a deadly pull in us 
to ground us in this world and these resources that we won't live for the hope of what's coming in our eternal inheritance. And we all have to ask the Holy Spirit, where am I at? Where's my heart when it comes to generosity? What's blocking up my generosity? What's making me more secure in uh, present riches than the promise of eternal riches? And this is what Jesus is doing with him. And he says, you lack one thing. Sell all you have and give to the poor. Now, make no mistake, he was already giving to the poor. You remember the, uh, the widow's might, the, the widow that gave up that two-cent penny, that, that coin that was all she had. And Jesus commended her and said, they're giving great wealth out of their abundance. But she gave out of her livelihood. She gave what she had to live on. She was the one that was commended. The rich young ruler, no doubt, was giving what's called alms to the poor. That was a, a common tradition of uh, the Jews in the day. And no doubt he was doing that. That's why Jesus could so plainly say, when you give in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, when you pray, because of the lifestyle they lived. But he also said, go to your father who's in secret, and he'll reward you for doing what you're doing, not to be seen by man. Well, the clanging of the coins in the big offering bin made a big splash before the audience of people, and they thought before God. But what, what he's saying to the rich young ruler here is, sell all that you have. Don't live on the tide of your own resources. You give up everything. I'll provide for you, and then come follow me. And he had to go away because he had great possessions. I had this great possession one day. This is my greatest truck I ever had. It was definitely... Uh, the third of steps, actually the fourth of steps of trucks. My first truck was an old Ford F-150, like old school, you know, like old school. Usually they run forever. Well, this one, the clutch went out within a week, and then something else in the engine disrupted, and I had it for a week and a half maybe, and it was done. Well, then I had Spotty, my Dodge Dakota that had, like, leprosy on the paint, and I was supposed to use that for my business truck. How painful. Well, that never got going. The radiator blew up. It never really worked. Uh, finally, I had Pinkalicious, my little uh, Chevy, uh, what are those small S10s, little S10. They, they made pink and purple Chevy S10s in the 95 to 98 region uh, era. And I had a, a Pinkalicious, a pinkish reddish tone. That was my truck. It was the first one that had the company stickers on it because at least it had a paint job. Okay, so then finally, I got the beast. This is my eight-cylinder Chevy, uh, you know, rear-wheel drive, no four-by-four, donuts-in-the-parking-lot kind of vehicle. And one day, the transmission dropped out. It didn't work. It was done. And uh, went and got a new transmission. And they also changed my engine oil that day, except they forgot to put it back in. And they drove a couple blocks down the road to test the transmission, and kaboom, there went the truck. In essence, this is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, you're keeping all the commands. You're living a moral life. You, you know, you think you're worshiping God. You're checking all the boxes, but there's no oil in your heart. You don't have a heart given over in devotion to me. This is what Jesus is getting at. In fact, when he rebukes the Pharisees, he says, you wash the pots on the outside. 
You keep everything clean, but on the inside you're full of robbery and greed and hypocrisy. And so Jesus says this. I'm going to skip ahead. Give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. In other words, when you're giving to the poor, give before the Father. Give with sincerity of heart. You're upholding the commands of tithing and all these things in the law. Well, have love and the justice and mercy of God as well. The weightier things of the commands. The actual outcome of what the commands point to. Love for God and others. So give from the inside because the gospel's changed you. Because, it says, behold, everything is clean. It's like because everything is clean from the inside out. So your giving is out of sincerity and out of purity from the gospel. Because of the transaction of Jesus dying in our place, now we give without other motives but generosity and love. So the issue is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. This rich young ruler had it all together. He was godly, right? He was sold out, at least on the outside. Probably grew up in a good home, went to church, listened to his parents pretty well. But on the heart level, he wasn't sold out to God. It was just an outward show for his own reputation, building up his own appearance. Uh, the problem is that the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It seems like you're on the right path. The way, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, as Proverbs says. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Give his alms from within. Give to the poor. This kind of giving is, it sounds so radical when you hear give up all your possessions, and it is, but again, it's the result of the radical generosity of the gospel itself. My son, when he was six years old, he was observing that there was a family that we knew who were lacking funds and, and provisions and at a season of life, and he had this red fire truck, and he felt like he was supposed to give that fire truck, and he gave up his toy to this friend. And like a week and a half later, there was this, uh, like a, a, a drawing, and our family won this big bag of toys for Christmas. And in it was a fire truck about four or five times the size of the fire truck. What do you think my son learned in that simple act of generosity? Well, I've heard other stories about the big vehicle being given to people, people that didn't know what they were going to do, people that didn't have a vehicle, and the one they had was about to die, and they needed it, and someone had it on their heart to give up something that was of good value to people that need it out of their own generosity. And they might have even needed the vehicle themselves, but they saw a need, and because of a gospel-shaped generosity, they gave it. And they suffered loss, if you will, in that moment of their own resource to give it to somebody else. This is what we need to ask the Holy Spirit in our own lives. As Matt had said uh, maybe a couple weeks ago here, that when we're doing our budget, we're considering purchases, we should always be asking the Lord, should I be purchasing this? Because it's the most holy moment we have. Because where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And so this is the challenge this morning is that we understand uh, this difficult call uh, for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed. They were perplexed. And they said, 
He, but he said, instead of saying, lightning the blow and saying, guys, you know what I really mean, he actually let it hang in the air and made them feel the challenge of what it means, uh, the difficulty of the words. And he said how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for uh, the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Or, yeah, etc. <laughs> so this is kind of the picture. Obviously, it's just what it says. Uh, it's a camel going through the eye of a needle. Jesus said to the Pharisees when he was rebuking them, you strain out a gnat. You're annoyed by that little tiny little bug you can barely see tickling your face. You swat it away, and then you intentionally swallow a camel. <laughs> the hyperbole, right? The smack talk that Jesus is laying down about what they're doing. This same analogy, this hyperbole of a camel going through the eye of needles is, is what Jesus is getting at. Now, some suggest that maybe there's a, a hole in the, in the wall of the city where only a person scrouching down low without anything on their back, no possessions, nothing with them, can make it through the wall. Either way, it's this impossible situation, and the camel and the needle make more sense when it's thinking of it as hyperbole. So this is the picture of entering the kingdom. Now, here's the challenge. The early church was founded on the gospel, obviously, and the generosity in the gospel. The first thing that happened in the church when the gospel came with power on Pentecost by the Spirit, and there was proclamations and thousands came to faith that day, became followers, lifelong followers of Jesus, is that they gave up their possessions. And nobody considered their possessions to be their own. In fact, they'd sell lands for the sake and the cause of going forth to follow Jesus, and they would lay the proceeds at the apostles' feet. Chapter 2 and 4 of Acts speak of that. Well, then, in chapter 5, a serious measure is taken by God to strike down Ananias and Sapphira, who it wasn't that they weren't giving, it's that they were giving and saying they gave the whole proceed of the land, but they kept back some for themselves. And the rebuke that they were given was, wasn't it yours in the first place to give? So why would you lie to the Holy Spirit about the proceeds? The gospel and the generosity go hand in hand, and the early church was founded upon that, and God was making a statement of, this is my people, their possessions are all given up for my name's sake. And the gospel was spreading like wildfire. Well, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And he speaks to the church in, in terms that it can confuse us. Well, why is he talking about uh, immoral, pure, and idolatrous, and covetous people in the church? Well, it's this simple. Jesus said that until the end of the age, the wheat and the tares will grow up and look the same. And the, the wheat looked like the same as the darnel or the weed until it was fully grown. And Jesus said, don't pull it out because you might accidentally pull out the wheat. They're going to look alike sometimes until the end of the age. And then the angels will pull out the difference and divide and put the wheat in the barn and throw the chaff or the, the weeds into the fire. And so when Paul's speaking to the church, he's not presuming that everybody in the church is a born-again believer, sold-out disciple, true follower of Jesus. And, and the, the, the job of the church is, is to, to labor to find out if we have a hard heart that's going to fall away from God or if we have a heart that's grounded in him, that the word has gone deep in us and not just a couple inches deep and hit rock, right, when trials and persecutions and difficulties come and you decide you didn't sign up for this. We're always being challenged to ask the question, do we understand in the gospel 
what we've signed up for. And so Paul says, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral in a lifestyle, and impure in a lifestyle, who's covetous by lifestyle, that is specifically an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Or he says it with more clarity in, in Colossians, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in, in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion and evil desire. In other words, if you're a believer, you're fighting those things off, you're resisting them, and covetousness, which is idolatry. An account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Well, what we know with clarity is the wrath of God is not coming for believers. The wrath of God is for the unbeliever. And it's the unbeliever who may think he's a believer in the church, similar to the rich young ruler. And this is the challenge is to exhort one another all the day as the day draws near, keeping each other in communion with Jesus and in communion with one another We all have the same condition without the gospel. And all of us that have come to terms with the gospel are recovering and growing and learning. And along the way, we're to know people around us to see what they need in a way of encouragement, exhortation, warning, comfort, reproof, all of these things. If they need the gospel laid out with more clarity because they don't have it yet, they're not born again. This is the job of the community effort of the church to, to graciously yet diligently do this with one another, with our own, starting with our own, and then going out to our family and out to our community here at Friendship Church. It's our responsibility to love each other well in that. That is love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So, Jesus says to them in response when they say then who can be saved and Jesus looked at them and said with man it's impossible there's no hope for you there's no savior but with God nothing all things are are possible nothing is impossible with God Peter began to say to him see we left everything and followed you there were fishermen that would sell their fish up and down the Mediterranean basis and they had great wealth they were Good business owners, self-employed, they didn't lack. They never lacked. I mean, in fact, the nights they actually did, they were frustrated. We see those scenes where Peter's like, we worked all day, we got nothing. And Jesus said, put it over here. (laughs) And the fish come out in, in multitude. Why? He provides. That's the lesson he was speaking to Peter and the disciples is, I provide. Sometimes in desperate places, sometimes in tight places. I come at the 11th hour, at the last tick of the clock, and I save you with this little testimony of my salvation, of giving you what you need. This is what it means to follow him and give up everything. And Peter said, we've done that. We've given up the fishing business. Matthew's like, I left the tax booth. I repent of being a traitor to my people. And Jesus said, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. We lose that for my namesake because it's not a common language for us. But, you know, as much as we have a last name and it associates us with other people in our family and and maybe even a Scandinavian for me, a history of Sweden, you know, my name trails on and and has an association with it, the way that we represent Jesus has to do with how we 
hallow his name, right? The Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be the Father's name in the earth, right? Men are abusing and blaspheming your name, but I want to see it hallowed. I don't want to blaspheme your name. I want to hold it as precious and live the way you've called me to live and represent you well. And for the gospel. So the gospel says, I give up my name and my reputation for Jesus' name and reputation and glory. In other words, that means I'm ready to suffer persecution if it's necessary when opposition comes as I proclaim your truth and live as a witness to the world. So Peter, don't worry, he says. I tell you, there's no one who's left all these things, who's essentially hated their family, For my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers and sisters, and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last in the last verse. So this following of Jesus is an absolute adventure of trusting him again and again and again and again to provide, uh, to prove his name over and over to you, faithful and true and good and merciful and kind. And it's also an opportunity for you to uh, find yourself hidden in his name. And every adventure has its perils. It wouldn't be an adventure without the perils, without the risks, right? Some of us are like, I don't like risk. I understand, but... You know, you've, you've signed up for risk in some way, shape, or fashion. We all have different risk-weighing methods. And, but this risk uh, call is for all who follow Jesus, is to understand that the adventure brings peril, and the peril brings adventure, and they work together, and we trust God through it all so we don't depend on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. But many will be first. In this world, people will think they're first, But in the end, they'll be last in the day of judgment. But many that are last in this age seem to be the scum of the earth, the poor, the downtrodden, the forgotten, will be rewarded as one of the first in the kingdom of God. And Jesus makes this clear in another passage. The way that we know we're going toward first and not toward last is that we seek greatness in becoming the least and being the servant and the slave to all. We have such a love overflowing in the gospel that it's, transforming us to be a generous people, to be a people who don't protect themselves, but a people who love God and risk helping others and risk telling the truth to those who are currently the enemies of God because they don't love and cherish the truth of God. This is our call in the gospel. So finally, the application Finding security in possessions, and we're going to contrast this with God's way of money and possessions. Uh, Just real fast, having control is probably the strongest temptation to draw us to want to have more possessions. We want to have control. We don't want to lack. We want to have what we have so we feel safe. Uh, Social status, um, this can be issues, especially among younger people who don't have the filter. (laughs) They'll just talk about how annoyed they are with the friend A, who says this, and then friend B talks to this friend about, yeah, don't you hate how they act like they got it all together? They always have these new clothes, and they live in this big house over here, and da-da-da-da-da. Social status can be a big issue, especially among uh, teenagers, because they're in that phase of finding their identity as an adult, and they're learning uh, 
to find out where they're at with, with God and with the world and with friends and acceptance. And, and we all deal with it, but especially at the teenage level, we, we deal with that a lot. Overindulgence is a problem for all of us in some way, shape, or form. Um, I have a friend that the other day just confessed to me, hey, I'm a glutton. <laughs> I always eat too much. I want to stop. Seems simple. Seems like not a big deal. But hey, wh- what is it? You know, I waste my time on the internet or it, whatever it is. We're, we're overindulgent when it comes down to our money because our money equals our time. And our time, as we see here, possessions consume time. And whatever consumes our time reveals our treasure. And where we give our treasure, there goes our heart. And if it's greed and idolatry, then we have to ask ourselves, where is my heart? Does God have my heart? We can't serve God and money. I have one master. So finally, God's way with money and possessions Good work ethic. Good work ethic. Good work ethic. (laughs) This is not a good popular phrase today. But guys, good work ethic is godly. Read the Proverbs, right? Young people, read the Proverbs. They're written to youth anyway. Proverbs 1 gives you the introduction. These things are for youth. (laughs) Jesus called youth 13 to 18 to follow him. Is 12. They were young. Good work ethic. So that you can mind your own business... Work hard with your hands. Be self-sufficient financially so that you can not look like a sloth and a bad witness. Yeah, there are a lot of creative ways to produce money these days. But do it with all your heart. Don't pick the easy route. Don't be a youth pastor because you can be a babysitter. (laughs) Right? That's one thing that's a a strong draw. Don't just work online because you want to sit on your duff and you want to be lazy. Don't pick the easy route just because it's the easy route. Pick the easy route because then you can do many other things for the gospel's sake. Don't waste your life. Everything belongs to God and, and, and it's for generosity and gospel advancing, right? We're advancing the gospel and the gospel, like I said, advances generosity through us. We don't think that our works is what advances the gospel, but the work of God in us increases generosity to work to advance the gospel. So everything belongs to God. So we're just giving back to him no matter how and who we give to. Uh, of course, the how needs to be with the, the motives of doing it in secret to your father uh, in heaven. Simplicity of life. Oh, we need to be called to this, don't we? There's so many things that we don't need that bog us down, that weigh us down, that distract us, that waste our time and connects to making money, right? How much do we need to make? What burdens do we need to un? unleash which things do we need to throw over the the deck of the ship because it's just too heavy (laughs) you know we want to make decisions to make our life simple we don't want our 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 ship to wreck on the icebergs of this age we want to give generously live simply and live for god's provision of necessity seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you time is invested in people then eternally we got to cut away the fat and make room to be generous. It takes intentionality. We need to surrender our possessions to God and then vicariously to our, our brothers and then those in need and the poor for the gospel's sake. The, 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 the riches first go back to God to love him with all our heart. And then from there we say, God, this is fun. I've got plenty. How can I give? And as we give, God provides 
And sometimes he multiplies so that you can keep giving because you're being faithful as a steward. And sometimes he takes away because we need our hearts to be addressed. But blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. So finally with that, we just want to close out with the question. Have you given up everything to follow Jesus? And it's the same question as, are you his disciple? It's impossible to be his disciple if we don't give up all we possess. We don't renounce all our possessions. Not Jesus going, no, 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 you can't be my disciple. I won't let you. It's, I know the problem in your heart, and your heart will not allow you to obey me if it's not changed. Give up your possessions. Let me change you from the inside out. That is the gospel. So I want to invite you this morning, uh, bow your heads, and Jesus, we ask you to speak to us. You are the great surgeon through your word. We see your eyes like flame of fire. You see into our heart's motivation, and you love us so well. We want to be like Mary, pouring a year's wages of precious ointment on your feet, not caring for the ridicule of all those around us who don't understand such waste. We don't want to be the ones that judge that kind of waste. We want to be the people who hurrah that testimony through the gospel. Wherever it is preached, you remember that sweet little teenage girl who gave her all because of the revelation of the gospel. She gave her all. So this morning, Lord, whoever is in this midst, and they know that they know that they have not given up everything to follow you, that they have not abandoned their life to trust you, to love you, to endeavor to live as a lifelong follower of you, risking it all, wasting it all as rubbish for your namesake. I pray that this morning you would press that by your spirit upon their heart, that they would not leave here the same, but they would come to you and surrender in Jesus' holy name. Amen.